The truth matters, but only if you see it. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. My motto for years has been, silence is not an option. But I want to take a moment today to address something I have been largely silent on. The media's coverage, or lack thereof, of my case. Viewers who have found me on this network, and great credit to them, have often asked, um, going back to when I first appeared and up to this day, why is this the first time I've heard of you? Given what my team and I have accomplished, it's not normal. And it would be dishonest of me to continue pretending that it is. When I first started this fight back in 2017, I almost had to step back from myself to acknowledge something I was so desperately resisting, that if I was ever going to make a difference in a suffering world, which I cared deeply to do, I had to start defending my own worth, to recognize that I had value and that my well-being and success mattered to the world. Six years later, I think maybe even now more than ever, I need to step back and stand up for this woman again. She, me, but let's just distance. I, I, I find distancing myself gives me permission and maybe that's wrong, maybe I shouldn't have to. But this woman took on a president's campaign at the apex of his power without means, and even without legal support. She was a citizen who was threatened with bankruptcy for speaking the truth about a man who threatened to end democracy, and does to this day. She came clean long before many others to sound the alarm without a book to sell. And she was proving in courts of law before a single criminal count was ever filed that Donald J. Trump is not invincible. He is not above the law. Two weeks ago, this woman and the team she has amassed since starting alone through epic defeats and triumphs forever nullified the means through which the world's preeminent con artist, an American dictator in waiting, silenced hundreds of people and hid the truth from the American people. You would think that this story was worthy, worthy of telling the American people. It is, and yet, I'll call them out, CNN and MSNBC have not reported this. I know there are wars raging and devastating and unprecedented news is incessant. But there are shows that report Trump legal news ad nauseum and have not taken 30 seconds to report this or, or the developments of this case in years, um, with some exceptions where my name was notably omitted from news about my case. Um, in fact, I think the dire state of the world that we are in is even more reason why a story like this must be told. People need to know what is possible. People need to know that a woman was behind this and that it was not money or power, so-called in the world's conception of power, that led her to victory against the terrorist that is Donald Trump. People need to know that good is alive and that when truth is applied and fought for, it prevails. I borrowed that line that I opened the show with, the truth matters but only if you see it, from the anchor of the 11th hour on MSNBC. I appreciate her, as I do many of the anchors and their shows. And I just want this audience to know that I have made myself available to all of these shows as I write my book well before I publish, 
And I've been making myself available for years, actually. Um, I do not aspire to be a fixture in cable news, far from it. But the lack of coverage in such a significant case to our democracy and the man who threatens to take it all away is not only bizarre, it is wrong. Our democracy, the future of the free world is on the line. And the major networks, dwindling as they may be, cannot afford to fail in my case or any other. I know you're watching me. We're watching you too. My guest today has given us all a beautiful lesson in truth-telling and self-respect. I've been hoping to meet her for so long, and I'm so grateful today to finally have her on the show. Mary Trump, welcome to Lights On. Hey, Jessica. It's great to be here. So as you join me today, we have, as usual, an inundation of insane legal news about your uncle, as you call Donald, um, who I, too, um, got to meet in 2016, thinking that he was a very different man that I have, than I have come to understand that he is. Mm -hmm. um, he's about to take the stand in that fraud trial. I just, I want to know right off the bat what your thoughts are about this particular development, him showing up at this fraud case. Um, I, honestly, I, I'd like to just go back to what you opened with. Please. Uh, oh, I love that. Please. <laughs> well, I, I think one, it's the, yes, the, the case itself is, is important and has flown under the radar, but it's also a reminder of how much gets lost when we, uh, when our corporate media focus almost exclusively on the sensational. And I'm, again, as you mentioned, there's a lot of very serious stuff going on in the world. Yes. There always is, yes. but even when there isn't, uh, the media seems to lose sight of important issues that get lost if they don't focus on them, you know? Uh, it, it, from your case, to uh, the dysfunction in not just the House of Representatives, but in the Senate, because Republicans are placing holds on nominees. Military nominees are allowed to, you know, upend the work of the entire Senate and put our national security at risk. The corruption of the Supreme Court, specifically of Clarence Thomas, Jenny Thomas's role in January 6th, and on and on and on. These things just get left by the wayside. I uh, am because there's so much else going on, people forget about them. Things get normalized. We saw that with Donald, you know, he, he was throwing so much at the wall all the time that his bad behavior just came to be assumed to be baked in. So it didn't matter anymore. Well, that's, that's the assessment of the corporate media, not of the American voter. So mm -hmm. anyway, I appreciate your opening. I think it's, it's very important to remind people um, not just about <clears throat> individual cases or uh, individual newsworthy events happening in, in the country, but also the uh, actual people behind these stories. So, 
Yeah, Mary, that to me has been, you know, I share this with my team and I come to this as like a storyteller, as a creative, you know, that's really my heart. I'm an artist. And and you know that to connect with people, you have to put a human face to something. You know, Mary, I've had like, I've had literally hundreds of stories written about me. I think maybe two of them had my name and maybe five of them had the mention of a human being other than Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, you have to put a face and a name to to this for people to relate to it. That is how we connect with each other. That is how, you know, there's still so many people out there that think Donald Trump's going to get get away with all of this, that they think they think that, you know, the American people that are, follow him are going to continue to be blindsided for the rest of their lives. And I'm living proof in more ways than one that none of that is true, that there is a breakthrough, but people need to put a face and a name to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a disservice is done when we don't do that. And and I think it also becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, yes, it does. Because it does give people the wrong idea. And, you know, there, there are plenty of reasons for people to think Donald keeps getting away with things because, you know, he does. Uh, but he also has been held accountable and he has lost and he's continuing to lose. Uh, and he will continue to become weaker if we focus on our individual and collective victories against him. Yeah, we absolutely have to. I mean, I even think sometimes, Mary, you know, we, this whole country, you were a huge part of this. You and I, and I want to bring this up maybe later in the episode, we're kind of fighting our, our NDA battles in the summer of 2020, and we had some interesting intersections. But um, you were at the heart of the collective investment that this country made in ousting Donald Trump from the presidency. And it was, it was traumatic. It was, I mean, one thing I will never forget is a tweet that somebody put out that said, I would crawl over COVID laced broken glass <laughs> to cast a vote for Joe Biden. I mean, that's the kind of urgency that we all understood and the kind of, you know, heart and effort that we put into getting him out of the White House. Yeah. And then right off of the bat, we don't even get to savor the victory for a second. We have January 6th. I mean, this is this is truly the work of terrorists to try to steal our joy, to mm -hmm. minimize our victory, to in fact hide it and obscure it, pretend like it never even happened. And right. that is incredibly discouraging. We need to understand the value of our own work. And we have done amazing things. Yeah, I, I think it, it gets understated. What we did in November 2020 was not simply win an election. We, we saved democracy from the jaws of autocracy. Yes. Um, and I would argue actually that the the diminution of our, our ability to enjoy and savor that victory started uh, right away because Donald never conceded the election um, because he's a, a sore loser and can never admit when he loses. So we had 78 days, I think, of the big lie being allowed to spread uh, simultaneously uh, with an incitement being planned, but we didn't know about that until January 6th. Um, so yeah, we never we never really got to relax. I mean, I, I obviously we enjoyed uh, the 
when the election was called for Joe Biden and we enjoyed the inauguration, but everything was so fraught because we never knew what was going, what, what could possibly happen next. And as a result of the fact that one, I think a lot of Donald's egregious behavior has been normalized and continues to be normalized by the corporate media. And two, because the Republican Party has proven to be even more craven than I could possibly have imagined back in 2016, things are worse now than they were in uh, December 2020, which is a horrifying, horrifying thing to have to say. Yeah, and and I think I, I feel like, you know, not intentionally, but going back to my opening theme that this is a failure of the media writ large um, mm -hmm. to to not call out Donald Trump's violations against our democracy in every moment to not, you know, they they have these Republicans on television in this you know, insanity that just happened in electing Mike Johnson, who's really just a mini Trump in, you know, sheep's clothing. Yeah. But um, in, in, you know, saying, oh, you know, was Donald, did Donald Trump talk to you? Do you consider, you know, they talk about Donald Trump like he's just a normal political figure, like someone who has, you know, validity in having input in our political process. I, every single time this man is brought up, the viewers and the listeners should be reminded of what he has done to this country. Yeah, I, I was speaking with uh, Ruth Bedgiat, who's a scholar of authoritarianism, uh, the other day, and she she pointed out how extraordinary it is for somebody who's been out of power now for years, continues to be uh, deemed relevant, uh, both again by corporate media and by his own party. Uh, it's it's practically not entirely unheard of, but practically unheard of. And he continues to be spoken of like he's a celebrity. I mean, I guess he is, but who cares? Like as if, as if that matters anymore, uh, instead of pointing out what a weakened, corrupt shell he is, uh, you know, it's, it's quite stunning to me that every article that references him doesn't start with the twice impeached, four times indicted, fraud who killed a million Americans because of his mishandling of COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, it's just, you know, Donald leading Donald Republican yeah. candidate for the 2024 presidential race. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's insane and obscene. I feel, feel like I'm often at a loss of words and find myself using obscene over and over again. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, the fact that he is posting these ludicrous attacks on our judicial system, on reporters, on journalists, on witnesses, on judges, on their staff. Um, you know, I started off asking you about the fraud case, and I'm glad you diverted. But I got to tell you, Mary, I mean, the fact that Donald Trump is a free man, let alone a normalized political candidate, is something that makes zero sense to me. And I, to me, like my whole legal battle against him or against his campaign has been a push. You know, like you come after me, okay, push back, push back. And that's what he has enjoyed people for years, not pushing back, mm -hmm. just saying, okay, you wanna, you wanna push the limits and, you know, break the law. All right, fine. No, you, you have to push back even harder. And I feel, I don't know about you, Mary, but I feel like 
it's not a danger to test those limits with him. He has to be treated the same as anybody else. And in fact, that is what's going to protect us in the end. It's all we've got, really. Yeah. And uh, he, Donald has done very little right. Um, and it's not that he did this on purpose. But one thing he did do that's useful is reveal to us just how broken our institutions are um, and how much work we're going to need to do to strengthen them. Uh, so the judiciary is proving to be relatively um, a relatively strong guardrail against him. However, um, the justice has ground very slow. And as we see with the gag order, the partial gag orders from both Judge Engeron and Judge in New York City and Judge Shutkin in DC, and with Judge Edgaron's uh, rulings that Donald violated them and the subsequent punishments, it's not enough. Uh, you know, they have to skate very carefully because he's, he's a candidate, he was in the Oval Office, um, but anybody else who did any one of the 91 things for which he's been indicted, uh, oh, sorry, charge, I should say. Yeah. There are 91 charges, four indictments, would be in jail. We Absolutely. would have been in jail as soon as the FBI found out we had one classified document in Absolutely. our possession and refused to return it. So I'm, I'm, we can't, listen, we, we have to take a win when we get it, even if it doesn't feel like much. It's very good thing that Judge Engeron has fined Donald twice now. Mm-hmm. But the amounts of money are a laughable drop in the bucket. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a, he could find it in his couch cushions, probably. <laughs> um, but because I'm sure the couch cushions are very big wherever. But um, <laughs> it's it just on the one hand, it's a positive step because the the fines and punishments will only get more severe going forward and Donald's made it quite clear that he's not capable of controlling himself under certain circumstances. Yeah. On the other hand though, it does underscore as if we need a reminding that there really is a two tier justice system in the United States. Yeah, uh, like you said, as if we need a reminder, I've always hoped and prayed that the, the prosecution, the accountability for Donald Trump would be a leavening for our whole country for this kind of you know, injustice that we do suffer where so often, quote unquote, powerful people are not treated the same. Um, but, you know, speaking of these gag orders, Mary, you and I have, this is another thing. I'm going to call out the media this whole show. Sorry, I'm on a roll. <laughs> but they, they echo or they put out his complaints that his free speech rights are being violated because that's his line, right? They're silencing me. They're silencing me from this man who literally silenced his critics like it was a, a game, who, who did this, who tried to sh stop the publication of books in your case, who tried to bankrupt a citizen in my case for you know filing a human rights lawsuit, who used every mechanism at his disposal, legal or illegal, predominantly illegal, let's just be honest, to silence his critics and his political opposition. And this guy is complaining about his free speech rights. Another thing we need to call out every single time. Yeah, that plus uh, 
the reason he's able to do it. He has the means. Um, you know, it used to be his his dad's money that he was using to go after people, uh, you know, whether it was contractors or people who were critical of him or, or reporters who were just doing their jobs and reporting on him. Um, and now he's getting his money from the people he continues to grift. Uh, so he has this sort of endless supply of funds with which to pay lawyers, uh, which again, it, it just reminds us how absurd the system is when the person with the more money will always, almost always prevail, uh, which is why it's been in cases like E. Jean Carroll's have been so important. Um, and when the DOJ, the DOJ last I checked probably has a bigger budget uh, than Donald Trump. Um, so it is only when that part of the playing field is leveled, when money kind of is taken out of the equation, that can we that we can make any headway uh, against his criminality. Yeah, that's another thing. I mean, just as you're talking, I, I just want to say, like my case, I had no money, literally no money, but I did have the right idea. And sometimes, and I think in fact, all the time, if you fully invest yourself in it, money is not ultimately a barrier. Um, you know, having the right motive, having um, siding yourself with truth gives you that power. And I don't, don't, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like it was easy. There were times when I was sleeping in my car the night before that I had to go, go to a court appearance on more than one occasion. Um, so it wasn't some, you know, luxury trip for me, but, um, in the end of the day, I didn't take money to get me to judicial victories or to use the legal system. It just took sacrifice and persistence. Um, and we can do it. Any of us can do it. Um, in spite of, in spite of enormous odds, we can do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, unfortunately, I don't know if that's always the case because money does come into play a lot yeah. of times. Uh, but sometimes it is also just the, the energy it's, yeah. it's quite debilitating and exhausting to have to deal with the, the, the counter suits and the court appearances and the depositions, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, that's why I think it, it does feel like we're, I don't know if we're there yet, but it does feel like we're reaching a tipping point and it has taken eight. Well, I don't know. It's time. Takes time. Long, many, many, many years, yeah. too many years, but it does feel like we're getting there. And um, we're also seeing that his arguments or the lawyers, his, the arguments his lawyers are making on his behalf are increasingly absurd and, and unmoored from any kind of real legal reasoning. So uh, just as sometimes his lawyers are performing for him in the courtroom, it sometimes seems like their, their briefs are also directed at him and not at the judge. So it's I, it's not a winning strategy, let's put it that way. Yeah, that's exactly what this whole fraud trial is, isn't it? I mean, it's literally like his lawyers performing for him. That's why he's there. <laughs> he's there to watch their performance. They're obviously not gonna win Justice and Goron over. And I mean, as I understand it, Mary, this goes up through the New York State appellate system. So, you know, there I feel like they're already 
understand that they're going to lose here. Then it goes to, if I'm not mistaken, the first department in New York. I've been before the first department. I cannot see them overruling a sound legal ruling from Judge Ngoron. Like, what is the end strategy here? Is it really just to delay and hopefully get himself into the presidency where he can, um, you know, start directing all of the judiciary, but he can't really do it to the state processes. So, I mean, what's the end game here? Well, I, that's definitely a huge part of it. I think that's his, his lawyer's end game for sure. Donald has always used delays tactics to get out of trouble. Uh, you know, he will outweigh, he will outspend, et cetera, et cetera. But you, again, you can't outweigh and outspend a state prosecution or a federal one. So uh, I think part of it for him in New York and one of the main reasons he's there uh, is because this case is so important to him. It's clearly more important to him than any other case. Because unless I'm mistaken, unless he had to be there, for example, to show up for a mugshot and a fingerprinting, he hasn't had to be in any courtroom. He's not required to be there in New York now. Uh, so he's demonstrating how important it is to us. And I think he's demonstrating his belief that he can somehow spin his way out of it. Uh, it's unfathomable to him that he will lose that which gives him his identity, which is kind of hysterical actually, because what he stands to lose is what's what little is left of his father's empire and none of it ever belonged to Donald. Yeah, it is. And I just want to tell everybody, apologies from this guy. <gasps> Who I <laughs> who I rescued two days ago and has kept me up for the past oh two nights. Was he me? I thought it was my. He, it was him. So, oh. so That's he's been he's been an angel, but he's going to put on a show of being all mean right now that I have him on camera. <laughs> um, so that's Leo. Leo has kept me up for two nights straight and has definitely made his appearance known today. <laughs> so. Cats are always welcome. Always, okay. we're cat people here. Yeah, animal people for sure. Um, yeah, it's it, it's you say that about his father's empire, and it's so true. I mean, this is a guy who never actually built anything. He put him. I'll tell you, Mary, that was one of the cons that I bought into. Was I would I would listen to those stories that he told, and like that Eric and Don Jr. would tell about like picking up nails on the work sites, and I'm like, oh, this is a working man and his family, and you know they've worked so hard to build what they have. Bullshit. They didn't pay well, their contractors. They got everything, you know, handed down to them. To tell it's you the truth, my grandfather did do that. Uh, and it was just because he was really cheap. It had, it had nothing to do with like, it wasn't like he was, he was going down to the building sites and, and, and working alongside the builders. He was just picking up nails that he could reuse. Uh, he was probably <laughs> the cheapest person I'd ever known uh, wow. in my life. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's absurd. It's all just myth myth-making that, um, you know, people found convincing because it was on TV. Yeah. And you know, Mary, what he did, and I've said this before, and I know you understand this dynamic. He co-opted the struggles of so many working Americans. Like, I mean, it's so ironic, like, and I've been through, you know, I don't, I say this before, like, I don't look like a coal miner from West Virginia or a truck driver, but you know, I relate I've, I've struggled a lot in my life. I relate to, to, the, to the struggle, to the hustle. And people who have been through real struggles <laughs> allowed Donald Trump to co-opt their struggles. Somebody who's like never struggled a day in his life 
Um, And, and then what they, you know, what's going on right now is he is putting off his grief, you know, his criminal liability onto them. It's such a sick and deranged cycle um, that, you know, they thought he was, they think he's suffering like they've suffered and now they're taking the heat for it. It's really sad. Uh, And I would say that I feel sorry for these people, except that now there's no, there's really no excuse anymore. Um, We know who he is. We know what he stands for, which is just himself. Uh, We know what he will do if he feels threatened. Uh, and he is he is just a racist, misogynistic hater. Uh, so I, I, it's hard for me to feel sorry for people who can't afford to send money, but send him money anyway, because they're endorsing all of the horrible things about him. Yeah, no, I don't feel sorry for them. I think, yeah, sympathy, you know, I draw, draw a line between sympathy and empathy. Yeah. I understand the, 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 workings of a con artist and mm-hmm. how it plays on people. Yep. So I don't have sympathy for them, but um, it's sick. Nonetheless, it's sick. And you got to, you know, you know, I just, I just hope that the people for the future of our country, for us getting out of this, that we not hold it so much against the victims as we do the victimizers, the Donald Trump's, the Republican party, and to the mm-hmm. extent that they are responsible, the media. Yeah. Um, but if if uh, Leo will let us, Leo has a lot to say about it. Leo has a lot to say. I think he's on board. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and much more with Mary Trump when we come back. Lomi is the only appliance that prevents food waste from stinking up your kitchen and polluting the planet. Now that I've invested in a Lomi, it's changed the way I deal with my food waste. Lomi is the biggest innovation in the modern day kitchen since the dishwasher. Lomi has helped me turn my home into a climate solution. Now I can transfer my organic waste into nutrient-rich loamy earth that I can feed to my plants, lawn, or garden instead of sending it to the landfill. I can help the environment and make my life easier. In just four hours, loamy transforms almost anything you eat into nutrient-rich plant food at the push of a button. It's smart, simple food recycling that fits in your space perfectly. Cut the chore of doing the trash in half and eliminate odors in your kitchen. And here's a bonus. You get to feed your lawn and garden with an all natural fertilizer that you just created out of your food scraps. All of my food scraps, plant clippings, and even leftovers I may have forgotten in the back of the fridge can go back into my garden, helping me grow more nutritious food at home. I learned that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. By reducing the amount of food I send to landfill, I'm helping do my part for the planet. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash lights and use the promo code lights to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash lights and use the promo code lights at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. So Mary, I uh, I wanted to. It's it's so great to have you here. I of course got to know you when the world got to know you in the summer of 2020, 
when you were trying to publish your book and Donald Trump was trying to prevent that publication by way of your uncle Robert. And um, I will never forget, <laughs> I kind of want to get in the legal weeds, just nerd out here for a minute. I will never forget the order that um, the justice up in, ju up in Dutchess County and the judges in trial court are called justices. I think his name was Hal Greenwald. Um, that he wrote, <laughs> basically lifting that restraining order that was what was blocking the publication of your book. It was, it was so hilarious. It wasn't like necessarily grammatically correct, <laughs> but there's a section where he, he talked. He it's like says there's a title balancing of the equities, and he puts what equities, whose equities, <laughs> and then he gets to this section where he's like he's making the case that Robert Trump made to say that your um, estate agreement prevented the publication of this book. Mm -hmm. And he says, according to this above reading, the case, case is a slam dunk, but it is not. Too many words with too many meanings. <laughs> and then the last, I think the last thing he said was, um, he said, lastly, in the vernacular of first year law students, con law, meaning constitutional law, trumps contracts. <laughs> <laughs> And then he basically, you know, freed the publication. Oh, that's great. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, listen, it probably helped me sell books. So I can't, can't complain too much. Um, although he's suing me all over again for pretty much the same thing for a hundred million dollars. So that's fun. Um, but it's, again, as you pointed out, it's just his tactic. It's what they always do. Um, the only First Amendment rights he seems to care about are his own, so, <laughs> you know, so it, it's especially ironic that he's uh, making that argument you referenced earlier uh, in terms of gag orders. Like, he should be able to say whatever he wants, no matter who gets harmed, while the rest of us need to shut up. <laughs> so, Yeah. Can you talk about where you are with that case? I, I, was, I wanted to ask you that, if you're still involved in litigation with him, right? Yeah, it's still, we have two cases ongoing um, and that's that's about, my case against him is a fraud suit and his case against me involves the uh, NDA and the settlement, not the NDA, sorry, the settlement agreement. So, uh, you know, they're just chugging away. Uh, it's been going on for years now, but that's how it goes in America. Yes. I know, I know. I've the my original human rights lawsuit that I filed in New York State Court, which has moves at a glacial spe <laughs> speed. Yeah. Uh, Twenty seventeen, I filed it. it. Is just as of this September on going in line to. It's in line to get on the calendar. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's glacial. Um, but yeah, I wanted to I wanted to mention and you know talk about this if if you'd like to. I I met your brother or your uncle, Robert, mm. at um, at the Trump victory party at mm -hmm. the Hilton Hotel in 2016. And this is something I've act actually never spoken about on this show. It's, it's mentioned kind of as a footnote in my lawsuit. But um, I had been, I had been basically terrorized on that campaign, treated like a criminal, banned from Trump Tower, you know, sent off to Colorado. And I came back on my own dime and on my own and showed up at this uh, at this victory party on, on election night and was basically treated by everybody there like you, something you couldn't touch, like a disease. 
<laughs> and your uncle Robert and uh, and his wife Anne Marie um, ended up kind of like taking me under their wings. This is a funny story. <laughs> at that victory party, and at one point, because somebody had noticed me, probably like a Jeff DeWitt character, some other official in the campaign who who hated me, tried to have me removed by Secret Service. So Secret Service approached me and told me to leave. <laughs> and and your uncle said, she's with us, she can stay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I was actually invited to that. Um, but, and my daughter really wanted to go, but I was like, I can't go <laughs> because I'm going to be so incredibly oh. ecstatic when Hillary Clinton wins, um, I won't be able to contain myself. And that will be really rude. <laughs> oh man. Oh well, it was a very long night. I mean, I I I cannot imagine what it was. There's no way I would have gone anyway, but especially under the circumstances. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. Yeah, Rob uh was a kind of a superficially charm. It doesn't surprise me that he yeah. did that. Um, but he he's actually, as human beings go, probably worse person than Donald, but without wow. the power and without yeah. the the need for attention. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, they have that charming cover. I mean, this is no secret. I mean, I had the same experience with Donald, as you call him. I mean, this is this was a this was actually the problem for me in understand not understanding sooner mm -hmm. that he was the problem was because yep. I had positive interactions with mm -hmm. him. Like he treated me kind of respectfully. Like I, I say this in retrospect, there were some yep. really misogynistic things he said to me. But right. at the time, I was being treated so, sh you know, unbelievably degradingly and, you know, just complete disrespect is what I was experiencing from the rest of the staffers mm -hmm. that like the way he treated me was like, oh, you know, what a what a relief. So I that that kind of charming facade and people, you know, need to understand this if they don't by now is what has allowed him to get away with so much. It's what kept me no. for years from not that long, maybe a year from realizing, oh, wait, he's the root of the problem. This is all coming from the top. Yeah, it's what makes him dangerous. And, and yeah. it's why he's still at the top of the Republican Party. There is literally nobody else running who has that. I, he, I hate saying it because it sounds like a compliment, but it's not. He has charisma that appeals to either a certain kind of person or a person in a particular situation. Um, because it's extremely, because of his own neediness and his own narcissism, he needs to be liked by people. So it feels genuine at the beginning. It, it feels sort of effortless and it, it is easy to be taken in if you don't know him. Um, so especially if you don't have a lot of contact with him, you know, I think that's like why the rallies used to work because Nobody, it, nobody who attended the rallies actually had to hang out with Donald, you know, for yeah. hours. Yeah. So uh, that that does continue to be the danger. Um, the thing is, we've had so long and so many years and so many horrors that we've collectively witnessed. We all know by now, for God's sakes, Mary. Right? We know. I don't think we all do, though. That's the problem because because of the way information is so siloed. You know, the people who continue to follow him watch Fox News, they watch Newsmax, yeah. they watch o if OAN even still exists, whatever the new incarnation of that is. Right. So right. they're getting a very skewed perspective. And for many of them, 
Yeah. Uh, the things that that most people find disqualifying, they actually like about him. They like that he's mean. They like that he's that he's uh, that he lies. They like that he hates the right people. They like that he's cruel. Um, you know, which which is kind of upsetting that we have tens of millions of people in this country uh, who are okay with that. But it's it's always better to know than not to know. At least we know we're up against them. Yeah, I mean, the way I explain it, and I explain this from my perspective, I will not speak for all Trump supporters out there, but for the time that I bought into this bullshit, the way that it, the reason why I gave myself with the moral values that I have, which are strong, and the conscience that I have, which I've always had, I've never been a different person. This has always been who I am. The reason, the permission structure I I had to allow someone like Donald Trump to get a pass in my book was that the other people, the Democrats had been so demonized mm -hmm. by the likes of Fox News, by right-wing media, that I thought we are not, and this is, this is the world they create. There aren't strong enough people out there to combat these evil forces. And so someone like Donald Trump comes out and he's all it's all bluster and bullshit, but it sounds strong. It sounds good. And you think you're literally fighting people who are trying to set our country on fire and end freedom as we know it, which right. is completely the opposite. Of course, now I know. Right. But that's what justifies. That's what, in my mind, let me, you know, give a pass to these disgusting, egregious things that I should have never given a pass mm -hmm. to and that I knew better than because you think nobody is quote unquote strong enough and here's this this guy who's willing to take them on con con artist that he is yeah it's <laughs> it is one of the biggest cons ever in the history of american politics po probably the biggest con ever uh and i yeah that's that's why it would be great if we could have cameras in the courtrooms um because i think people who would normally only hear about the trials on Fox and get that very um, sanitized spin um, would totally tune in to see their hero. Yeah. And they would see how Donald behaves. Uh, and it doesn't look good when you can actually see how he behaves in those situations. We saw it I don't know, three days. This week has felt like it was 500 years long. I know, tell me about it. Uh, so <clears throat> after uh, the judge made Donald get on the stand and Donald yeah. couldn't say, no, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And not only did he have to get on the stand, but the judge basically said, I don't believe a word you're saying. You have to pay a $10,000 fine. When Donald he lied on the stand. He, he lied, lied on the stand. He committed perjury. To get used to, that's why he never actually testifies folks. Yeah. Um, so when he left the courtroom, he acted like a, a toddler who'd been given a timeout for the first time in his life because yeah. he can't handle it. So it would be great if, if people could see more of that. But unfortunately, I think at the moment, the only courtroom that will have cameras is uh, Fulton County, Georgia. It does look like that. And, and yeah, I think the reporters lost their bid 
to yeah. have at least initially, I don't know if it's going to be appealed, but they did yeah. lose that initial bid to have cameras in the federal courtroom, which is a travesty. I mean, yeah. I think we, we're talking about people kind of coming out of this this con that they've been subjected to. And I always talk about the January 6th hearings, which I think moved a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it, hugely consequential in changing the narrative. Um, but it's so great to have you here, Mary. I don't even want to like interrupt us with clips, but on the subject of cameras in the courtroom, I in this week that has been 500 years, I want to go back to um, Jenna Ellis pleading guilty because I think it's so telling. It's so there's so much in here. The the false Christianity, the you know finally admitting everything was a lie. Let's just play crying Jenna, can we? Please do. As an attorney who is also a Christian. I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information, especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people of Georgia. Thank you. Uh. Well, Jenna, cut cut back on the helium. That'd be my first advice to you. Um, <laughs> she's so full of shit. It's it's painful. Um, a couple of things. I mean, I she wish calls herself a servant of Jesus Christ on her Twitter profile. I just want to put I'm that out there. So sick of these people shoving their religion down our throats, as if that excuses anything they do. Um, in fact, if they were as as devout as they claim to be they wouldn't be doing the things they're doing. Look That's at it. you, Mike Johnson. Um, so, okay. When she said, if I had known then what I know now, I wish the judge had said, what exactly did you not know then that you claim to know now? I, it, it just, it's all, I don't know. Uh, I Let's put it this way. She better have, she better come up with the goods because, um, that was that was a, a very poor performance. I'm glad, luckily for her, Roger Ebert is no longer alive to uh, give a review of that. I mean, that was um, that was up there with Kyle Rittenhouse in terms of just bad crying. Mm. Yeah, you just said a name who whose name I will never never utter. Sorry. Never utter that. It's okay. It's yeah. Okay. I just, I think that I, I, I've never said this even on this, sh on this show. I probably said it on Twitter, but that was a case about two people that were murdered, Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber. Those are the only names we should know. You're Joseph right. Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber. I don't care what their pasts were. I don't care, you know, what sins they committed. They didn't. They were murdered by a murderer. Exactly. Executed on a street. Yeah. Exactly. No, I'm yeah. with you. I'm totally with so, you. Anyway, just put that out there. But back to Jenna Ellis, <clears throat> servant of Jesus Christ. I mean, Mary, now I take personal um, 
you know, I, I have some personal issues with this because I am a Christian and it is my faith, my application of my faith that has empowered me, um, genuine application to accomplish what I have done and I wouldn't have done it without God. And so when you have these people, like I don't, I don't intend to preach my religion or put it on anybody, but when you have people hijacking Christianity, blaspheming, as you said, the real teachings, which would have them actually act the opposite than that, that they're acting. Um, you know, I don't have any patience for that. And uh, she's, she is a prime exam example. I mean, I'll give her a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of credit, although she was right back to like posting Hunter Biden stuff after this and, you know, not showing contrition in that respect. But if, if these people really come to home to the God that they profess to believe in, it's going to lead them all to contrition. It's going to lead them all to rejecting this. Um, and maybe we can just bring this full circle to Mike Johnson, who is an absolute, um, you know, bigot and demagogue, who is now my God almighty, Mary, the Speaker of the House. Yes, second in line to the presidency, arguably now the second most powerful politician in America. Um, listen, this is what happens when you sell your soul to the extent that you have one to somebody like Donald Trump. Uh, you know, uh, and again, I don't want to blame him for everything. Uh, certainly not trying to protect him. I, I don't want to give him that much power. I think he's more a symptom than anything else. You know, I, people like Matt Gates and, and Green and Boebert didn't need somebody like Donald Trump to, to make them bad. They're terrible human beings. And no, but he mainstreamed them. He, he mainstreamed well, them. He, I think he gave them permission is yeah. what he did. And then the Republican Party mainstreamed them by continuing to cave to them, thinking again, as they have for decades, that, you know, the Fra Dr. Frankenstein can control the monster. That's never true. It, and now the party is the monster. So Mike Johnson is going to do an extraordinary amount of damage in the next 15 months. Yeah. So we need to, and we should, we should have done this in 2020. We didn't. And uh, even though things were quite urgent, things are even more urgent now. I'm afraid people aren't feeling the urgency. In 2024, the Democrats need to take back the House. We need to win like 50 or 60 seats in the House, and we need a real majority in the Senate. Otherwise, we're going to continue to fight this battle between democracy and fascism. And that's not a sustainable way to govern ourselves. It's just not sustainable. You said it at the beginning. We never even had a chance to celebrate, to let down our guard. And it just has been getting worse and worse and worse. So we've got to pull together and realize who the real enemy is here. Uh, and Mike Johnson is somebody who wants to, along with six people on the Supreme Court, he wants yeah. to send this country back to the to pre-Civil War America, for God's sakes. So let's just be really clear. You know, Democrats make mistakes, but it's it's a totally different level of culpability. And the Democratic Party right now is the only party in this country of the two major parties that believes in democracy and that believes in making this country better for all of its citizens. So the only way we get to make Democrats a better party is if 
we have the power to do that instead of continuing to use our energy fighting our rear flank and fighting off autocracy. So anyway, that's that's sort of where we are now. And, and I think Mike Johnson's elevation was just a, a sign of how bad things are um, and a preview of how awful they can be if if we let it get go any farther. Yeah, he really is dangerous. And thank you, Mary, for leaving us on that note of action and what we need to, um, what the work we need to do over the next year or so. You know, I'm an independent, but I have fully thrown my support behind the Democrats. Um, They are the only party that is capable of saving our democracy in this moment. They need our full support. And Mike Johnson, I mean, in the wake of another mass shooting, we learned, I know you have to run, so I'm not going to play the clip, but we've, a lot of us have heard this video now of him. Basically, his rationale for mass shooting is legalized abortion and feminism and same-sex marriage. I mean, this is a sick and twisted. Yeah, we have a moral we have a moral crisis in this country. We have a spiritual drought. I agree with that. But the spiritual drought is because people like him and his dear leader, his God, Donald Trump, um, have made greed and power their, their ultimate goal and sacrifice the well-being of of the people. That's the spiritual drought we're dealing with. Um, So anyway, Mary, thank you so much for taking your time to join me today. I really enjoyed it. Jessica, it was a real pleasure. It was great to meet you. You too. And I hope everybody will um, go and check out your Substack, The Good at Us. And I, um, and as, as everybody knows, you've, have that wonderful book, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man, uh, Mary Trump. It's such an important voice in our democracy. Thanks again. Thank you so much. I just want to leave us um, before before we wrap today's show on um, some of the affairs going around the world. On around the world, uh, obviously, we had this senseless uh, shooting again this week that was the cause of uh, none other than an assault rifle that didn't need to be in the hand of a person who. Um, needed serious help. Yeah, we have mental health problems, but mental health problems exist around the world and they do not have the epidemics that we have. We have this epidemic because we will not enact common sense gun reform. Weapons of war do not need to be on our streets. Um, Speaking of war, I I just wanna take a moment to acknowledge what is going on once again in the Middle East. It's just unthinkable devastation that is going on in the Israel-Hamas war. The latest figures that I have that are that um, since October 7th, 1,300 Israelis were killed by Hamas. Um, Since then, over 6,000 Gazans have been killed and some 1,700 wounded. Um, Many Jewish Democrats are coming out um, calling for a humanitarian pause in the air raids on Gaza. Um, The total is up to six now, including the latest representatives, Sarah Jacobs, Jamie Raskin, and Susan Wild. I just wanted to share the statement that they put, put out. The two million civilians in Gaza cannot survive without access to water, food, medicine, and fuel, and resources cannot get to those who need it without a temporary cessation of hostilities for humanitarian workers to do their jobs safely. That's why we echo Secretary Blinken's call for a temporary cessation of hostilities to establish safe passage for civilians and allow humanitarian aid to resume. 
I, mean, I think the world is um, kind of watching in horror as we see the this war play out, um, both in knowing what is going on with the hostages and the destruction that the Israeli people have already experienced, and then this reaction from the state of Israel that um, I think a lot of people rightfully have moral um, equivocation or moral concerns about what is being done to the people of Gaza. I want to uh, share one more statement from Doctors Without Borders. People, innocent people are being killed in unthinkable numbers, children, women, journalists, doctors, healthcare workers. It is an absolute catastrophe there. This is the statement from Doctors Without Borders. It's time to end the indiscriminate bloodshed and the massive attacks on Gaza. Today, it's impossible for our colleagues to work safely because of widespread attacks on healthcare, which have impacted hospitals, ambulances, medical personnel, and patients. MSF staff who remain in Northern Gaza tell us they are exhausted both physically and mentally. Um, at the end of the day, I think this, like everything that we're dealing with is not a political issue. It's not a religious issue. It's a it's a human issue, um, and the more that we as a world can demand that humanity be applied and we stand for humanity, um, the quicker that we can get out of this and and end these prolonged conflicts that are founded on on resentment and hatred. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. We had some heavy topics. We also had an amazing guest, Mary Trump. And thank you for hearing me out at the top. I think it's very important that we all recognize our own value, as reluctant as some of us might be, and stand for it. We all matter so much and have so much power. So continue to let your light shine. If you want to support my fight, as always, you can do so, and we need it, at thejessicadenson.com slash donate. I want to thank everybody so much who has contributed to that fund. Um, everybody have a wonderful weekend. Let your light shine.